Previously on Fry. I hear their voices. They said it was the only way to go home. Sarah, just tell me what you did. I left the door open. <laughs> Are you living in town or, or colony house? Um. Julie. Colony house. Why are you doing this? What's wrong? I think maybe I, I made a mistake. Julie, okay, there are no mistakes, just choices. And you chose what was right for you. And that matters. Come on, try it out. Every single one of these pins is a different resident who drove in from a different location. That is fucking impossible. I don't just sit around accepting the world as it is. Someone's doing this, and I'm not gonna rest until I figure out how. I wish you had the luxury of grief, but you don't, Boyd. These people need you. You need to be the one to lead these people home. Because if you don't, she died for nothing. What are you doing here? You promised you'd stay home. If I didn't show up, they would have wondered why. It'll be okay. Sarah. I promise. Do you want to help me bring over the rest of the food? Yeah. That just feels so broken. We're gonna figure it out together. Don't worry. Check out there. Sweet potato. <gasps> Ooh. Nice family. Lots of tense moments in that recap. Uh, welcome to an all-new episode of From, the Epics series that is playing right now. Uh, I'm going to welcome my guest. I'm sorry. He's not my guest. He's my co-host. My co-host, Kinte. Kinte, how are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm so happy to be here and talking some From. So sorry to introduce you as my guest. I am. Uh, I am your guest. I'm, I'm living in headspace on another podcast. I'm so sorry. So, uh, Kinte is is firmly the co-host. So just throwing that out there. Firm, extra firm, y'all. Yes, indeed. Yeah, however you want to characterize it, you go do you. I'm super. Mm -hmm. I'm here for it. Um, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start out and say, uh, last episode we had lots of spooky creepiness happening like we uncovered so much of the town uh and some history and some really weird events that happened in this episode it felt like it was all about the characters all the characters uh doing either their level best to just ignore whatever the heck is going on or they are trying to dig so far under the surface that it feels like they might end up having a mental breakdown. I don't know. Uh, the name of this episode is Silhouettes, and it is the fifth of the uh, episodes in season one. Um, this is this was a crazy episode. Before I even get into any events, tell me what you thought about this episode. Just overall, how did you feel about it? Oh, it was a very good episode. It had a lot of events that are very memorable in it. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because we're going to talk about it, but um, a lot of twists and turns and uh, a big moment later on. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's very good. And so and, and we have uh, two random black people that uh, 
that uh, we didn't see before, a woman and a, a guy. So <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's right. That's right. I, I, it's, it, it, is, it is a little bit odd that uh, just in terms of um, the makeup of the town, it feels incredibly random. Also, big shout out to Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Um, I absolutely felt like this episode was pivotal in terms of understanding how these characters can go forward in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I, I'm going to start out with talking uh, about Sarah and Christy. Um, but I'm going to quickly pivot to... Julie and Fatima, um, because I feel like we have this gorgeous juxtaposition happening between the girls in this town, the women in this town, and the two the those two groups make up uh, quite an interesting dynamic. So we we see Christy and Sarah talking in the makeshift hospital that they have. And, you know, Sarah, we find out that Sarah is maybe not quite as like mentally disturbed as much as she is absolutely persecuted by whatever these beings are that are in the town. Not only did they give her the instruction to kill the driver, Jade's partner, uh, Jade's driver, um, but also, she also has the message that's written on her arm, kill the boy. And it seems to me like whatever is happening to her, it's enormous. It, like, it's, it, at first I thought she was just sort of like maybe mentally unstable. Uh, and now I'm starting to think that that's not actually the case. What did you think? Oh, I mean, she's definitely mentally un unstable, but... You know, it just depends on the uh, source of it. You know, was right. she mentally unstable when she was not on, uh, not there, or did it just come about? You know, um, well, later, later in this episode, we're going to discover no, uh, no spoilers because it's in this episode. But later in this episode, we discover that Sarah and her brother have only been in the town for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And that seems really surprising because it feels like Sarah and Nathan are actually like, you know, firmly entrenched in the town. Right. So that was, to me, that was a huge, that, like they're already using Sarah as some kind of conduit by which to do stuff. That's, I don't know. That just, it felt. Maybe uh, a certain, it takes a certain type of person for, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like in order to get what they need, maybe there's something about her that, lends herself to be used as a conduit. Like you have to be also, open to the message. Yeah. And also in this, we have um, Jade seeing vision. So, you know, that I don't think other people are seeing the same kind of vision. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That's super true as well. Um, yeah. It, it, it seems like there's, it, it feels like to me, the conversation between uh, Sarah and Christy opened up a lot of doors Um it gave us uh, a kind of an, the idea about who Christy is as, uh, as a person. The fact that she has a girlfriend that she thinks is waiting for her back home. Um, we don't get, I don't think, uh, a clear timeline about how long Christy has been there. 
I, I don't remember hearing that specific piece, but it doesn't feel, it feels like it's been a while, uh, at least a couple years. Um, and that feels kind of important too, but she still seems to think that her girlfriend will be waiting for her. And then she also tells Sarah, when Sarah says, you and Kenny make a cute couple, she says to uh, she says to Sarah, no, we're just friends, right? But clearly everybody else thinks of them as a couple, which is also kind of, I don't, I felt like that might be sort of an interesting character development piece. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, can I, can, let me ask this question, just as a side mm -hmm. note, or put this out there. Do you think time is running the same, like, do you think time on the outside world is running like there so maybe you know maybe a year in the town could be only a couple of days in the outside world or vice or the opposite you know a small time time in the town could be i mean i don't i mean the only way we would know this is if somebody got out and then see how much time is okay so so n no spoilers from this because the next episode that we're going to talk about uh, basically will have, I think, uh, a key in it based on a flashback that Jade has. Um, and so, I, like, I don't want to spoil that part, but I will say that it feels incredibly uh, similar in the sense that the people who are there, even Victor... Um, recognize all the technology that is there are able to use things without sort of looking at them like oh my god that's crazy cool or you know oh cell phones or like nothing feels like it is out of place so it feels to me like all of these people all come from a very similar time and space and because of that it does seem like it is possible that time on the outside is running in a out of sync with time inside of the town because it feels way too contained like if these people can never leave uh, aside from i guess the massacre where basically the town reset itself except for victor um all the people that are there now have no history uh, no history with the town it's just it, it's it began again after uh victor came out of the storm cellar because there was no one left. So everyone there is at the very least post-Victor. Um, and so that does kind of lend itself to that. But then I'm also going to say that in the next episode, we get a hint of something where maybe this town has been resetting itself for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that also feels like, you know, that was something that I actually thought about uh, pretty early on. That, and it had to do with Victor measuring the trees, which I'm still completely obsessed about, um, where it feels like if he's if he's counting the trees, counting the spaces between the house and the trees, and the house seems to be important, uh, why is he doing that? And then that line that Kenny says, where he says, I feel like we're running out of spaces. That mm -hmm. to me, all, both of those things combined to me feel like, mm, yeah, maybe something really catastrophic is about to happen. So anyway, that was my thought about that. Mm -hmm. um, let, let, let's let's go back real quick to Sarah and Christy. Um, so they have a nice conversation and it felt really character developing. I really liked it. 
I actually started to feel a little bit more sympathetic towards Sarah until, or even at the moment, uh, when I remembered that she was still eyeing the scalpel in the, in the drawer. Mm -hmm. And I guess I kind of always knew that of course Sarah would try. Um, and at the same time, I also, I got this huge message at the very beginning when Nathan wants to see his sister and basically Sarah has said, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see Nathan. Why do you think that, that Sarah didn't want to see Nathan? I have my own idea, but why do you think Sarah didn't want to see Nathan? I think basically it's, uh, then she has to be forced with, you know, he can, he knows her like no one else knows her. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and he could talk to her like no one else can talk to her. And I think she just didn't want, she didn't want that, you know, uh, yeah. to deal with that. Knowing what she what was instructed to do, too. I think that she thought that if Nathan could see her, talk to her, that she would feel compelled in some way to tell him what was going on or that she might have second thoughts. And we figure all of this, you know, out that, that she thinks that this is the only way to go home. Um, and I, I feel like she's doing this in some ways for Nathan. Like, like she, like, I mean, she says a couple of times, I think at some point, you know, all, all I have is Nathan. Mm -hmm. And it feels like her motivations are very deeply rooted in her brother. Um, and yet at the same time, I, I think you're right. I think she knows that he sees her differently than everybody else sees her. So he might be able to see into the fact that she's struggling with something. And also, of course, we know that Nathan also knows that she did something earlier um, and that she just wouldn't talk about it. And he's really worried about whatever that was. And then later we discover that uh, Nathan... Uh, finds the bloody clothes and basically goes to confront her. So, I mean, there's that too. That piece seems, whew, man, so much is going on for these guys. I, I feel really sad for them. Um, and then Christy says to Sarah, um, well, Sarah postulates, what would you do if there was a way, basically, you know, the Spock question. Uh, do the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many? Mm -hmm. um, what did you think about that whole conversation piece? Um, well, obviously she's trying to uh, figure out, is she in the wrong for, um, you know, wanting to do, you know, to kill this kid in order to, um, you know, to potentially save her own life, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she just wants to know, like, she's she's trying to get, she's essentially trying to get uh, a, um, she's basically trying to get, like, an okay. Like, you know what? It is okay. You can go ahead and do this. Like, right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She wants absolution for absolution. the idea that she has. Yes. Yes. I, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. You know, at this point, I'm going to say one thing because we're basically into exactly where this happens. Uh, From does this thing where they have a really long intro before they roll 
their uh, intro credit, you know, their intro, the theme song, Que Sera, and um, it, it, sometimes it feels <laughs> like we, like I almost forget that we haven't, that that isn't even the episode proper, that that's just the intro, because so much happens in those intros before the credit uh, opening theme starts to roll. Um, and it, it always sort of like takes me out of time and space because at at this point in this episode, it's what we discover is that Nathan is sitting at the, at the uh, dining table and he's looking at Sarah's blood-soaked dress, right? And then we cut to the intro credits and it like, it leaves everything just hanging in the air in, in this very dramatic fashion. And then you realize, oh, okay, now the episode can start. It it just it it's it's kind of cool. I actually really give them a lot of credit for doing that. It's a, it's very long. The intro is very long. Um, so also during this intro, we also <laughs> discover that Jim. It feels to me like Jim and Tabitha. Well, Jim is definitely uh, making sort of his plan for. Um, we're going to figure this out. We're going to make a game out of this. Uh, we're going to find out what's going on. And he uses, uh, well, actually, we don't see it at that point, but he decides that he's going to use the wall as his whiteboard and write down every question that he has about where he is at. And so we start to see Jim's thinking process definitely as a much more... Uh, logical uh thinker instead of an emotional thinker he really is trying to come up with some kind of critical thinking logic that would explain where they are why they are how they are um which i thought was uh, that's kind of interesting that was a good take i like that what did you yeah because it made yeah because it, it it actually makes him look like he's not just a a bonehead like he actually made no you know, he may be able to uh, be of some use, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I have to say that as a viewer, um, it, it it gives me a little something to think, oh, well, maybe he will figure this out. Like, like I got a bit of uh, hope in that idea that, oh, yeah, hey, this is a good thing. Maybe if we just, you know, keep our faith in Jim, we can figure out what's going on. Maybe there's something on that whiteboard that will tell us what we need to know. It's It, it was kind of cool. Also, I really love Ethan's response to writing on the wall. You want me to write on the wall? <laughs> Hilarious. I really did like that. Um, okay, so so let's cut back to uh, Sarah and Christy again. Christy tells Sarah, you know, hey, listen, the needs of the many in my head, sure, they outweigh the needs of the one. And if I was going to have to do someone a wrong, hypothetically, in order to get everybody home, yeah, I guess I would. Um, not, Of course, not knowing that Sarah was going to really act on that. Um, and then, okay, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, how the the dynamic is now we're going to cut completely away from Christy and Sarah and move over to Julie and Fatima. Right. Okay. Now I, I I've actually talked to people who were like Colony House seems like it's a cult. I don't yeah. actually think it's a cult. I think it's it's communal living. It's it's a commune. It's it's it is everything that 
used to be uh, like a very 1960s and 70s sort of premise about you live together, you share together. We saw that in the last episode with uh, with Julie, with very somebody stealing dippy. Julie's clothes. Yes, yes. Everything is shared. You know, you don't actually keep anything to yourself. It's very interesting. Um, but when we see them going, you know, clearly uh julie's having some second thoughts i guess um and so fatima takes her to this place where it i don't know how to describe this except to say um man how do these people stay so untroubled by what's happening i i i don't there's something so almost uh, utopian about the lifestyle up there. Give me what, how do you think about this? Give me some ideas about your thoughts. Cause I, I, I struggle with this a little bit. Like they just don't seem like they, it's not that they don't care. Obviously they care. Um, And Donna makes it very clear that there's something big going on and she knows but just in terms of how they live, it just feels so unfettered. What did you yeah. think? Or um, how do you I'm, think about I'm it? sorry, you, you were cutting up a little bit. Can you, uh, I'm so sorry, can you repeat the, the question uh, one more time? So what I was asking is, how, what are you thinking right now? In, in terms of what we see between uh, Fatima and Julie, right? And they go mm-hmm. up to this place and they go swimming and how how do you think that the people that are up there how do you think that they are responding or why are they responding in a way that seems so untroubled in comparison to the people in the town oh it, it's it's because i think they they got an attitude of they can't they got they can only deal with what it's in front of them right they can only deal with uh what is in you know, whatever the thing is of the day and mm-hmm. they're just going to live life and they'll let everybody, let everybody else worry about all of that stuff. I, 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 I don't know. Like sometimes I kind of wonder if there isn't something to <clears throat> being at colony house that, that lends itself in some way to almost like the communal living is sort of, uh, kind of, I don't know. Uh, like a tranquilizer, like, you know, kind of drug-like, like, like it really helps those people feel as if community amongst themselves is more important than even the basic uh, acts of survival and togetherness in the town, which seems much more concerned about, you know, management and, where does the food come from and how do we get everybody fed and like Kenny's mom, um, how do we keep law and order with Boyd and Kenny? Those kinds of things seem like, okay, well, these are the important things. And then Colony House seems like, well, how do we maintain our sanity in this time? And maybe the best way to do it is just basically do what Fatima does, which is kind of ignore everything, and look at things from the higher perspective. Look, from up here, it doesn't look like there are any monsters. From up here, it looks beautiful and gorgeous, and the world can just be exactly what it is. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it, it, go ahead. I mean, maybe I'm getting uh, getting off uh, 
um, a little bit. But I wonder if once they start killing in the house, can you escape from it? Hmm. So if they, because if Colony House ever became, you know, um, up for grabs, you know, uh, I just wonder. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm thinking out loud, but uh, I was just wondering that, like, if they get in there, they're all those people are going to be gone, or, or well, can you retreat somewhere else? Well, that was the. I think that that was the point of showing us when Sarah left the door open at the at the top of the clinic, right? Uh-huh. The, the monsters could even get through into that room, into the boiler room or whatever, the heater room, the room that basically was off of the, the main room. But it, right. was off, it was in sort of a separate room and she had closed the door. Right. So clearly, and the reason that, the, of course, that the barrier didn't hold is because there was no talisman. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's what we think. Um so it does seem like, and again, you know, if we go back to episode two, Colony House, uh, they tie people up. They tie them up and they keep them very secure until they can figure out, are you friend or foe? Right. And, the, and what's her name? Uh, Donna even says, just because you tell me something is true, basically, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, doesn't mean that I can necessarily believe that it's true. Right. Like I, I, we actually have to go through these procedures because this is the way that we keep each other safe, which is a completely different idea from the town, which is sort of like not every man for himself, but every sort of unit for itself. You know, right. Does that make sense? No, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's just it's, it's a totally different way of thinking. But it's interesting to me in this episode when we see them all up on the rocks and swimming and kind of having a good time that that there is sort of a a a see no evil, hear no evil is equal to no, no evil. (laughs) And it's just such a oh, God, it's so weird. It, It makes me. Uh, feel like everything else that's happening in the town is, is it like it, it doesn't permeate up there. It doesn't penetrate any of what they're thinking. It's like a totally separate world almost, then which is super interesting. That's how you can, the Matthew's daughter, um, that's how you can kind of understand why she would choose it because the way that they're living is a much more appealing way mm-hmm. to live, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, there's you get less freedom, but you get less responsibility too, which is yeah. I can see why that would be appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, it, uh, just going back to Tabitha now. Ta- remember that Tabitha says uh, she says there's one question that we're not asking, and I assumed that the one question that she was thinking, uh, are we not asking, was uh is this hell i i assumed that it's not what she eventually wrote but 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 i feel like that is where the show keeps trying to say oh hey maybe you guys should think about this and i feel like that is such a red herring i don't i i think i said this before in a previous podcast i don't think they're in hell this isn't purgatory I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel that way. It feels, although I'm going to say right off, uh, at some point someone says, does it matter? 
Yeah, the priest. Right. Uh, yes, Father Cotri. Uh, it, it, and, and he's right. It doesn't matter. It, at this point, even though we're super invested in what is the mystery and what is happening here, he's absolutely right. To the people in the town, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're there. So they're going to experience whatever they're going to experience. And it doesn't matter why they're going to experience it. But I, 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 at first, I felt like that was him giving up hope. And then I realized, no, actually, that's not him giving up hope. That's him saying that no matter what hope is out there, um, we still have to deal with whatever is happening here. Uh, for whatever purpose it is that we are here, we have to deal with this too, which I thought was actually super pragmatic. So I was kind of impressed by that. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's talk about the scene where Sarah decides to leave, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, she goes over to the Matthews' house. Mm -hmm. And she... And at this point, she's trusted. Yes. Be... Unlike Victor, who, you know, who means no harm. You know, but it just shows you, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which, which I also found uh, kind of interesting. Um, simply because I think it... it it delves into this the sense of what you see on the outside is not necessarily the thing you should trust and I, I use that as like okay this is sort of a metaphor for a lot of what's happening in the story what you see is maybe not exactly what you should think it is it's it might be hiding something darker or different underneath mm -hmm. um Okay, so Sarah goes over and she says to uh, Mrs. Matthews, Tabitha, um, you know, hey, can I hang out with your son? To whatever. Ethan goes out and begins to tell Sarah all about uh, his imaginary world. Um, and I kind of loved that. I love the fact that Ethan seems to keep having this connection to this made-up story. And and the idea that the made-up story also involves Julie, uh, it just feels like maybe that maybe there's something important in that. Because remember, that story is about monsters, and then remember that uh, in the in the RV in the beginning, one of Ethan's biggest gripes about Julie is that Julie killed Norman, who is basically the protagonist of Ethan's story. Right. Um, and that I I I love the fact that Ethan then tells uh, Sarah this story, and Sarah it just completely doesn't seem to phase Sarah at all. Um, but clearly there's something for us to understand there, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, okay, so Sarah, I'm, I I don't want to get into the the later stuff, but Sarah basically invites Ethan to go look at the animals because Nathan takes care of the animals and they have goats. And she's like, yeah, we can go see the goats. Okay. So we're going to cut and intersect this with Jade, our, you know, super techie guy. And he goes into the bar and, Oh my God, I really freaking love this. Um, the bartender 
uh, first of all, Jade is very unimpressed with their liquor. And the bartender says something along the lines of, you know, you get a group of people together. What's the first thing that they do? You know, they, basically they make liquor, right. um, which I, I kind of loved. And the, and the idea that there's like this cantina in the middle of town, it really offends Jade a lot. Not because he doesn't want to have a bar, but because why are you guys drinking instead of trying to figure out what's going on? Right. Um, yeah. What did you think about that whole scene? I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was hilarious. And, uh, you know, Jade, I know you don't like Jade, but um, I like his character and because I he's so different than everybody else, you know? So he's like a wild card, you know, where you're going to get things from his character that you're just not going to get from anybody else, you know? No, no. See, there's a difference. Uh, it's not that I don't like Jade. It's that what I was saying before was I don't like that that type of person, that the person that Jade is meant to sort of represent sometimes can be uh so obtuse in in a way that is yes they are brilliant and yes they are absolutely super smart and they can get to the heart of so much but they are um so busy thinking about their own moral superiority that sometimes it just it, it's like it becomes eclipsed and I, I didn't like that. I That was the only thing that I didn't, that I thought, oh, that's where they're going with him. But as time goes on, Jade becomes more and more of an interesting character. There's more interesting facets to him, I think, than perhaps we were even given uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning. So, and the bartender brings up a really good point, right? The bartender um, basically talks about Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I, I love that because that sort of harkens back to what you had been talking about before, which was this idea of, well, is time actually happening linear uh, on the outside of town like it is on the inside of town? And it kind of, it goes along with this idea. Um, if you put the town away from where everybody can see it, does it actually exist? It, so if people don't know where you are, do you actually still exist? And like to me that was sort of an interesting idea because it kind of gave us the idea that he, they they talked about well um if everybody assumes that we're dead yet we're alive which basically which reality should we be living in or not even which reality should we be living in how what is going to be the perception of where and who we are which again it, it's there is this complicated sense of these people get it. It's just some are choosing to be more accepting and some are choosing to basically lose their minds. Um, and then some are forced into these situations like Sarah where, yeah, maybe they're acting on stuff that is, not even that we can't even possibly understand. I don't know. There's so many aspects to this, but th this particular scene felt very uh, important. Like the Oasis here felt very important. I, I, I can't overstate how much I think these little snippets matter to our understanding of how things are happening here. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to say one other thing about this scene um, the bartender tells Jade that 
if he can get the, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he says something about if he can get the radio to work, that people outside the box would at least know that they're still alive is somehow important to understanding how they're thinking about their own existence. So as an example, right? If we mm -hmm. use the Schrodinger's cat sort of example, if the people in the town can be seen or heard, then they actually exist, which lends a brand new level of, hey, we got to get out of here feeling to what's happening instead of, oh, we just have to exist here happening, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so that sort of translates back to what we were talking about at Colony House, where it will no longer be okay to just, oh, hey, this is just where we are. We just have to figure it out because here's where we are. It's not going to change. If someone actually did hear them on the outside, then, oh, all of a sudden there actually is something happening and the stakes get higher. Um, in some ways, I, I feel like the radio is kind of like the Horton hears a who kind of idea where there's all of these things happening and no one knows about it. And then one small sound comes out and all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, of course, there's something they, they are someplace. There is something happening here. OK, but we don't know exactly how that's going to unfold because. We don't have any information yet about how in the world they could get enough power, right, to be able to get in touch with the outside world, which I also thought was kind of crazy. Um, clearly, there's electricity in this town. I mean, like, that was one of the first things that we all noticed uh, when the people that were watching it with me. Um, there's electricity in this town. Where is the electricity coming from? Right. Right? I mean, the diner has enough power to have a neon sign outside. Uh, the jukebox goes off randomly, which is always so weird. Um, they can cook food. Where is all of this stuff coming from? I, I, I feel like there are so many questions to that that are just oof, so out there. Um, and also, uh, ironically, going to be discovered. In, not discovered, but uncovered in sort of the next episode. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I, I have to, I got to ask you, um, I got to ask you this, because I feel like this keeps coming up over and over again. Every time something happens, it, and, and it feels like it might be important, something else happens that kind of not counterbalances, but draws our attention away from it. And I was wondering if you noticed any of that happening. Interesting. I never thought about that. So, like, I got to think about that one. Um, almost like, is that just a writing thing or is that something done specifically? Like, So, I, I, I feel like it's purposeful. I feel like, yeah, it's, it's done on the writing level. Like, like, look, we'll show you what might be some clues but then very quickly afterwards we're going to up the stakes emotionally and uh and action wise so that whatever you think you have seen is like quickly obfuscated by some huge event hmm. yeah no okay so oh okay so you believe that it's the the writers are doing it to throw you off. 
but not necessarily the town is doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do think that it's, it, I think it's purposeful on the writing side. I don't think it's, it's not the writer saying that the town is, you know, trying to throw people off. Because oh, okay. if that were the case, then Victor would be more sort of under attack than he actually is. Um, because clearly he knows some stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. I, if we go back to a previous episode and we think about the timing of when those dogs came into the forest, the dogs came into the forest after uh, Ethan and uh, Victor did the experiment with the rocks. Mm -hmm. And that felt important and purposeful. Like, well, you're not actually supposed to know what that is. But immediately after that, we end up with a confrontation where Ethan and his dad, you know, where Ethan's dad or Jim has this, you know, huge confrontation with Victor. And, and it feels like what we just learned that was like mind blowing about these portals where things can go in and come out in other places was almost uh, not erased, but like made less than because of the huge reaction that Jim had and where it almost felt like, you know, Victor was about to seriously be harmed. I don't, I don't know. There's just something so interesting about this particular type of storytelling, which I kind of like, I just thought it was super yeah, interesting. And, 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 Victor had, and Victor had that gun too. Right. Right. And he basically, what does he do? He uses it to scare the dogs away. You're right. But also, um, also to say back away too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it, you know. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know enough about Victor yet to be able to make that kind of determination. But Victor's alive in an age where it feels like a lot of people die and he doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, so clearly he's got some survival skills that are not just. <laughs> I'm just a crazy person, you know, wondering if the trees are moving. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that's definitely true. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's talk real quick about Boyd. Um, Boyd's plan, which I really kind of don't know what is going on with that in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, but he goes to his wife's grave. And his wife, Abby... Um, is her grave is not in the town's graveyard. That doesn't seem, uh, that seems purposeful as well. Why hmm. is she buried outside in this field of wildflowers? Why is she there and not in the town graveyard? Hmm. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it definitely it's clear that that something is different about Boyd burying Abby here or having her grave be here. I don't know what that means. Do but you think do you think maybe she did something to endanger the lives of the town, possibly? I don't know. I don't know. Or or did Father Cotri say that she couldn't be buried in the town graveyard because she committed suicide? Because if you commit suicide in the Catholic faith, at least you can't be buried in consecrated ground. Mm. That do, I. Do we know that she committed suicide? 
No, no. That I'm just saying, like, those are the questions that I had in my head. Mm. I don't know. And what I think what we can definitely tell is that something different happened with Abby than anybody else, at least in terms of where Boyd buried her. He didn't want her to be buried, or he didn't bury her in the uh, in the town cemetery. And everybody else is buried there. I mean, we've already had numerous burials there. Okay, but I'm also going to say uh, that toward the end of this episode, <laughs> one <laughs> of the most disturbing things happens. And that is Victor begins to talk again about uh, what is what's going on with the two cars and that he thinks he might maybe not know, but he thinks something is going on. And he starts digging a mass grave. There's, I don't know how many there are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe. Um, I, I can't remember how many he actually starts. But, but he says he's getting a head start this time. How crazy is that? I, it just, it makes Victor such an interesting character. It's absolutely, uh, really I don't know something crazy about that. Um, okay, uh, let's, but let's let's work a little bit on uh, on something else here. So I don't know what Boyd's plan is uh, about going into the forest, but he has some kind of idea about going into the forest to do something, and maybe that's going to be the way that they all get home. Um, so I'm I'm really intrigued about what that might be. Um, you know, somebody mentioned uh, the fact that the monsters don't have a name. You know how in The Walking Dead, they're the walkers. The walkers uh, how, you know, in, in like Resident Evil, uh, they have names for the liquors and the, you know, whatever. It, they have no names for these monsters. They're they're just the, the things. Monsters. <laughs> yeah. They're just monsters, the monsters. Things. Monsters, I, Inc. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, you'd think that after all this time that they would develop some kind of name for it. But my, uh, my, my brain goes to, well, maybe they don't have names because no one is in the town long enough to really sort of remember, like they don't have that collective memory of what these things would be called. Maybe that's why I, I don't know that that's true. I just think that that might be the case. So, um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that is strange that they would have some kind of nickname. You would think they would have some kind of nickname, but they really don't. Just a small um, one. Yeah, maybe as the show goes on, maybe they'll develop one. Probably not, though. But yeah, uh, I, it, it just it, it it feels weird. Also, that we're not given a name that we can associate these creatures with because that feels like from a writing perspective something that you would do so that anytime that name is mentioned you immediately feel creepy dread you know or maybe no. maybe as it goes along we'll find out what their true names are maybe hmm. that's what it is yeah maybe you're right maybe that's absolutely the way yep so far i'm just going with the idea that basically uh all of these beings are basically the crows that we see and uh yeah, that's um, I'll just go with that for now. Uh, okay, so uh, so let's switch back to uh, Sarah saying, "Hey, let's go view the goats. Let's go hang out with the goats." And of course, uh, Sarah doesn't realize that Tabitha is going to cling to Ethan uh, as as much as she is because, of course, there was the whole Victor thing. So she's right now 
obviously everybody is being very uh, overprotective of Ethan for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> Sarah brings Ethan to the barnyard and Tabitha's like, yeah, you know, let's have a conversation. Ethan's petting a goat. Everything's great. Uh, and all of a sudden, Sarah says uh, that she's going to show Tabitha uh, a talisman that's in the barn in case she ever needs to go there uh, after dark. And Tabitha goes in and she... I, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. Um, it There is something about the way that Sarah basically announces sort of to Tabitha that, that like, this is for the best. Uh, and, and I feel like Tabitha recognizes immediately that something bad is going to happen, obviously. I mean, if I were locked in somebody's barn, I would be thinking the same thing. Um, the the lack of immediate action that sarah takes tells me that sarah is still really struggling with this because if and i mean maybe it's just for our effect i don't know how did you see the lead up into what sarah is going to do and like how long that felt like it took Oh man, I mean obviously, yeah, she's uh she is look, I don't think she wants to murder people. She doesn't no. that's not what she wants to do, but she feels like she's compelled to do or has to do it. So yeah, I, I would say that she had to gin up the courage. And even when uh Ethan escapes, you know, by kicking her in the knee, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, I mean, she could have fought harder to keep him, but I think in the way she was relieved that she didn't do it you know right well and then we see uh, so ethan escapes basically her hold and we see uh nathan her brother. and nathan right nathan ends up in you know standing inches away from her and he's saying sarah don't do it don't do it and sarah ends up cutting ethan's throat uh by accident um <laughs> man what a that's crazy that whole thing was so crazy and uh, i have to, i have to say that this really caught me off guard like oof, man how first of all how horrible for tabitha to be in locked in the room and know that there's like stuff going on outside hearing all of this back and forth and not being able to protect your kid. And then in the barnyard with the goats is this just, uh, again, you know, who are the real monsters, the people, uh, or is this like a mix of it's the monsters and the people uh, like the people are behaving in a way that makes me feel like, man, there are, there are just as many bad things happening people to people that there are happening with these monsters, um, which it feels really super crazy. Uh, so what, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to sort of like summarize everything that was happening in there, but how did you feel about all of that stuff going down in the barnyard? 
Oh my god. You know, it you know, every show needs to me, shows, movies, whatever, they need moments. Mm-hmm. You know, things that you will remember, you know, uh that will that will stay itched into your uh brain. And that was definitely one of those moments. And poor Nathan, who was just seemed like a really great guy, who all he wanted to do was take care of his sister, paid the ultimate price. But right. you know. Yeah. And then Okay, so it it seems like it, everybody who's anybody is now basically at the barn, right? I mean, like there's a, the, everybody is standing there, probably from the town, um, and uh, Father Cotri comes back and basically just confirms that Sarah has disappeared, mm-hmm. which also to me at the mo- in that moment felt weird because it felt to me like, well, why? Where would I don't know? It 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 just felt weird. I, it it really did. It didn't feel right. Like, why was Sarah running? I mean, she's ne- she didn't run from anything else. I don't know. It just felt strange. Why would she have? I don't know. Anyway, that whole thing felt kind of strange. Uh, Tabitha carries Ethan back to the house, and um, Father Cotri tells Boyd and Jim that Sarah has run off. And that if she doesn't come back after dark or before dark, then, quote unquote, it's handled, meaning that the monsters will basically take care of whatever they can't take care of. Right. Um, Okay. (laughs) And then Jim says uh, that he doesn't understand why they are all treating this like it is Mayberry. Uh, why it's, you know, an Andy Griffith episode. And um, I, I have to say, for the first time, I actually agree with Jim. Right. No, yeah. Yeah, he said exactly what I've been saying for the last couple of episodes is they're acting like this is Mayberry, you know, Mayberry with monsters, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. No, I, he said what I think the audience is saying at home, you know? So, Julie is now... uh Julie, Ethan went to go find Julie. Uh, Julie brings Ethan back. The whole family is reunited. Uh, you know, Julie takes Nathan upstairs. And then, and then, uh, Tabitha writes on the whiteboard that is their wall Did we survive the crash? Mm-hmm. So, are they actually dead? Um, and and if that's the case, then the question again runs back to: Are we in hell? Is this our purgatory? That kind of thing. Um, so I, interesting that I I feel like at this point that question opens up the door, which I've been hinting at all along, uh, because I feel like everything in the show is a detail and a mystery. And in this episode, I started to think, oh, you know what? Maybe it's not. Maybe things are a lot simpler than I actually thought they were. Mm-hmm. And maybe the nature of her question is the it is basically the answer to all of our uh, all of our questions, which is, hey guys, maybe not everything is a mystery, and maybe. It's just, this is the way that things are. And that redefined for me how I'm thinking about this series altogether. Um, it, it's, it was such a weird moment in my 
in my thinking about what was happening here where I just started thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe all my attention to detail isn't actually as important as I thought it was. Maybe all of the things that are happening that I thought, oh, maybe this is a red herring. Maybe it's a this, maybe, maybe those things don't even matter. And maybe there is a, a more universal truth being applied to this that will simply satiate all of the gaps that I'm seeing in the story by filling it in with, well, you're dead. <laughs> and I don't know. What did you think about her question? I think it's just something that they have to address because everybody's thinking, is this purgatory? I think they want to just kill that off so that the audience can move on to not even have that as a, as a, um, something that they're thinking about. Is this possibly what it is? Well, I kind of hope that that's the case because I have invested a lot of thinking into this isn't a purgatory, that it isn't hell, that there is something else that is of a supernatural uh, division happening here. Um, and so I hope that that's the case. But I also feel like by opening that door, they're sort of allowing us to think about this as if like what Father Katri says, does it matter? No matter where we, no matter what's happening, are we dead? Are we not dead? Does it actually matter? And I, I actually, I felt like that was a good moment of clarity. So let's, uh, let's, let's hit the, the, the last piece of this, which is Boyd in the diner hearing Lyle Lovett's If I Had a Boat. Right. That's the song that played on the jukebox, right? And then he says, okay, I got my sign. Apparently, that is what Boyd's thinking. Something about if I had a boat. And it seems to indicate to me, okay, this is the reason that we saw everybody up at that place earlier, uh, that there is some kind of body of water that it, that we are not aware of at the moment, but that clearly Boyd is thinking maybe this is the escape. I don't know. Um, and okay. it's a lot. I think it's a lost reference too. Hmm. Yeah. Because remember, uh, at the end of uh, season two, he sailed away on a boat. Mm. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. With his uh, with uh, his son. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's been a it's been a hot minute since Lost was on the air. I think we're pretty safe. Mm -hmm. Um, the, we don't even we haven't even seen a boat, so we don't really know even what that might be, and we don't even really know exactly where he's thinking that they might be able to go. But what is what I think is. Uh, what I think is happening in terms of who our weakest characters are, I feel like they're the weakest characters only by story design um, and that they are about to take on a bigger role in the story. Like, like we establish a lot around characters that are very important and now more of the story can sort of be uncovered if you will mm -hmm. um I, I i feel like this was a really really great great episode um what are your closing thoughts no i mean uh great episode had great moments in it and uh i feel like uh it's, it's a great lead into the next episode i i i i have to say that this episode in particular really um kept me afloat in the idea huh, that they get it <laughs> keep world building 
in a way that is interesting to us without getting too mired in the details of of the world building itself uh, and that that's a that's a skill that is definitely not utilized a lot and sometimes when it is when they try to utilize it it falls flat in this case it really does work i mean i am just as hooked as i was after the first and second episode so yes so okay so that I think that's it for this episode. How can we find you on social media, Kente? Sure. Uh, you can get me uh, at Kente F on Twitter, at Kente Ferguson, that's F-E-R-G-E-R-S-O-N, on Instagram. And, of course, the website is theindyradio.com. That's the T-H-E-I-N-D-Y radio.com. Jen, how can people get you? People can find me at moviesandmeals.com. And our next episode which is also kind of an interesting one and definitely uh, feels like it is um, like it's going to be something fabulous um, is, Oh wait, what is the name of the next episode? Uh, the Book name of the next 74? episode. Book 74. Thank you. Um, it, we have a lot of unanswered questions to get to. And I think this episode actually does a nice job of tying up some loose ends. So, We'll look forward to talking about that one next time. All right. You guys have a good one.